Welcome to Real Talk, friends. It is Thursday, February 3rd, and a uh, big show in store today. We're going to check back in. The last time we had these two guests leading a show off, it was the morning after Alberta's municipal elections. Hard to believe that was 100 days ago. Amarjeet Sohi, Edmonton's mayor, will join me in just a moment. Uh, Dr. Jody Gondek, Calgary's mayor, will join me right after that. And later on in the show, it's, it's Black History Month. We're going to talk about the fashion industry and black representation with fashion psychologist Dr. Dawn Karen. You've heard her on the show before. Really, really appreciate her perspective. Uh, she'll be chiming in. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming she's in New York City where she's based out of it. It was a great conversation last time she was here. That's coming up. Plus, of course, we're going to touch on issues that are making news across the country right now. Aaron O'Toole ousted as leader of Canada's conservatives. Candace Bergen will, uh, on an interim basis, lead that party. What does this mean for the federal political landscape? What the hell is going on at the U.S. Canada border crossing at Coots? That's just south of Lethbridge. We'll take a look at that. And of course, in Ottawa, this this convoy remains at least representation from that convoy remains. So what does that mean for the city of Ottawa? What does that mean for Canadians across the country? I saw somebody tweet yesterday. There's just too much news. We're trying our best to stay on top of it all. And it's a good thing we've got a big team. A team that is supported by our friends at Bitcoin Well. You know, they're our presenting sponsor. Anytime you've got a question about Bitcoin, and, and I feel like it's like if you've never even heard of a blockchain or you have no idea what cryptocurrency even is, or if you've, you've been into it forever, you're a Bitcoin OG. You've been in, I don't know, nine years now, eight years now since it was 200 bucks. A Bitcoin. We've all got questions, don't we? They've got a team of experts ready to take those and answer them directly. You'll find Bitcoin Well under the Sponsors tab at RyanJesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We're going to jump right into it. If you have questions you'd like to ask our guests, of course, uh, producer Sarah Hoyle's keeping an eye on the live chat this morning in our hashtag Real Talk RJ. His journey is remarkable. I mean, from from political prisoner to Canadian immigrant, bus driver to city councillor to member of parliament to federal MP back to the mayor's chair in the city of Edmonton, where his political career began. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the program his worship mayor, Amarjeet Sohi. Congratulations, 100 days. It's, it's hard to believe that it's been 100 days since you and your lovely wife were sitting here on the show. Smiles smeared across your face after a big electoral victory. How, how have the first 100 days been through your eyes? Well, uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Ryan. I I had to wait 100 days to come back on your show. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's right. Well, everybody wants everybody wants the first 100 days interview. That's the standard political mile marker where we can say this this individual has had time to settle in. I don't know if you brought in a new. Did you bring in a new desk chair? Does a mayor bring in a new desk chair when they come in? No, no. I have the uh, all the old stuff from. Uh, from dawn and we're just going to clean it up a bit and uh, actually we haven't had the chance to actually clean up the office yet because we were uh, so busy and also with COVID you can't have uh, uh, many many people coming to the office anyways to uh, to help us with some of the uh, 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 cleaning up that needs to be done but I am so happy to be with you and uh, uh, I must say the last 100 days has been uh, an amazing amazing journey it's uh, as uh- you know uh, as you know, it's not a it's not a, it's not a one man show. It's not a one person show. Council is not a one person show. It is all about team, and I've been working really hard to build my relationship with over new council members who come from very diverse backgrounds. Uh, you know, 
uh, you know, eight new council members, uh, eight women with uh, different diverse experiences. We have four returning council members uh, who are guiding us through uh, uh, with the, through the process with their uh, with their background and the institutional knowledge. So I am absolutely excited about uh, the the, uh, the looking forward to uh, the next four years. I think you could almost call it a dramatic overhaul of Edmonton City Council. If you take a look at who won, if you take a look at who lost, including incumbents who lost, there were political themes to be drawn. You know, the so-called conservatives, the right-wing conservatives are gone from Edmonton City Council, at least for the most part. There are certainly strong conservative voices on council, and, and I think that I could probably start naming certain councillors. I would I would say Councillor Tim Cartmel would qualify, certainly, I think, as a conservative. I won't speak for councillors. I think probably Councillor Sarah Hamilton would qualify, but if, if you look at a lot of the others, they lost. And Edmontonians, I think, sent a clear message with regards to the results of the vote, including who won as mayor. So, where did the work begin? I mean, you sit down and obviously you got to hire you hire chief of staff, uh, Lisa Holmes, in my opinion, a pretty great hire president Absolutely. of the AUMA, former mayor. Of Moore. You've got a former mayor as your chief of staff. That's quite an unusual situation, actually. So a great hire there. But but when it comes to the files, your top priority files, I mean, you're in the midst of a pandemic when you take office. That's got to be one of them. Uh, the yeah. economy somewhat languishing. Right. Uh, which maybe not as bad in Calgary. We're going to talk to Mayor Gondak right after you. But but where have the lion's share of your efforts been? You know, uh, I really wanted to set the tone of collaboration and cooperation as city council. I'm so happy that we have set that tone and people come from very diverse backgrounds with different views and different ideology. And uh, and that is fine. That's what we need. We need people who are committed to building a dynamic and, and, and a wonderful city uh, and Edmonton for all of us. And all 13 of us are committed to doing that. So I'm very happy that we have set that tone of respect and tone of collaboration and having very thorough, uh, you know, uh, heartfelt conversations and debate, but at the same time be respectful of each other. So that was number one thing I wanted to do. And I think we are on the right path. The second one was resetting our relationship with the, provincial government and the federal government. And I spent considerable amount of time over the last 100 days meeting with the ministers, meeting with the prime minister, meeting with the premier numerous times uh, and other officials. And I can tell you that uh, uh, our collaboration is actually paying off. We are seeing uh, 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 provincial government investing more in, uh, uh, in shelters that funding we requested. And we are seeing uh, more supportive housing units being uh, being built. Uh, we are on, on, on our way to uh, maybe having 500 new supportive housing units come on board uh, this year. And I'm working very closely with Mr. Schweitzer on, uh, on the economic files. There's a number of files that we're working together on. So I think that relationship is... Uh, is working uh, and we I look forward to the February budget that the uh, province will introduce and we have identified four needs supportive housing downtown recovery economic recovery uh, as well as uh, you know transit funding shortfall in operations and support for the FIFA and ongoing commitment to work with us on long-term strategies so I think overall uh, things are going well and I can talk about some of the things that I'm really proud of that we already accomplished well I'll come to that after your question yeah sure I mean that's much less sensational mayor so I'm not sure if we have time to get to that but I'll but I'll but I'll do my best uh yeah. 
I'm kidding, of course. Uh, you, you talk about, I think the word you used there, uh, Mayor, was reset. You, you said we, we've worked to reset relationships with the provincial and federal government. Uh, obviously, there are different dynamics at play there. You have a, a provincial government that has had a somewhat hostile relationship, not just with uh, municipal government in Edmonton, but with municipal governments across the province. And I've been talking to mayors and reeves and councillors from from villages and hamlets and towns and cities. And that's kind of been a common thread through. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, including property tax related issues, policing related issues, etc. The relationship with the federal government, at least the relationship of the federal government with you, I would imagine is much more friendly. You served as a senior cabinet minister, two different portfolios under this prime minister. You have a friendly relationship, a supportive relationship with the prime minister. I'm not sure there's a lot of bridge building there left to do, at least not at a personal level. So how it have you been rekindling? It was about rekindling that relationship. Sure. But you, and, you but I would imagine that the work that you had to do to open the channels of respectful and productive communication with the levels of government, much more work on the provincial side. So how have you approached that? You know, I have been very clear from day one that my number one goal is to deliver on the expectations of Edmontonians. We have a crisis in houselessness. We have a crisis in addictions. Uh, mental health to our economy is struggling. Our downtown and Chinatown and the other business districts are, are struggling. So that's what I conveyed to Premier and his ministers that I want to work with you on these matters, these issues that we need to work together to deliver on the expectations. And I, uh, I, I honestly believe that they're listening. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, now they have to deliver. They have to show up for Edmonton, and I hope that they will show up for us in uh, in this February budget. Even related to the budget, I have numerous meetings with uh, all the appropriate ministers, stressing them the importance that Edmonton should matter to them, that our state of economy, our state of the people's well-being should matter to them. And uh, and we are taking steps on our own. Like It's not that we are solely relying on the province. I was very proud to pass our first motion to uh, uh, tackle racism in our city that was unanimously passed. And we allocated funding uh, to anti-racism work. We allocated funding to uh, downtown recovery. We are doing our part in partnership with the federal government to have more supportive housing built. And uh, there are three projects that has, has taken off now, right, along with the, uh, the leadership that uh, Mayor Iverson provided on that uh, that file. So I think it's all about uh, my number. My focus would always remain on Edmonton and Edmontonians are willing to work with anyone uh, who's here to show up for Edmonton. Your colleague, the mayor of Ottawa, Jim Watson, <clears throat> certainly had his hands full over the past week or so with this so-called Freedom Convoy setting up shop uh, near and around Parliament Hill. Uh, that included demonstrations where a member of Parliament that represents constituents <clears throat> Very close to you, uh, St. Albert Member of Parliament, Michael Cooper, uh, was interviewed. And in the background of this interview, a lot of people have seen this, this upside down Canadian flag with swastikas all over it. It prompted a tweet from you, a thread, as a matter of fact, where you laid out your thoughts. You say, as mayors of the two cities that straddle MP Michael Cooper's riding, Mayor Kathy Heron, Mayor of St. Albert, and I are troubled by a photo of MP Cooper being circulated with an upside down flag, Canadian flag, with a hateful symbol of a swastika on it. Uh, has there been a follow up there? Has there been correspondence with uh, MP Cooper? Are you satisfied with his response? And, and what's your general comment on what you're seeing in Ottawa and across the country for that matter right now? You know, uh, we haven't had any correspondence with uh, uh, MP Cooper. Did you reach out? 
we haven't yet, right? And uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, our relationship is not that strong, right? Uh, uh, that's the reality. Uh, uh, but, you know, I understand the... I, I, you know, we've been through a lot over the last two years. Uh, I understand people's frustration. We are tired of COVID. Uh, but we, I think as a public officials, we have a responsibility to channel that frustration to constructive action, which is encouraging people to get vaccinated. The sooner we all get vaccinated, the sooner we will be out of this uh, pandemic. I think it's very problematic when public officials try to inflame people's frustrations and people's anxieties and instead of channeling them to in a constructive dialogue right and constructive constructive solution so i think that is the biggest challenge the, i mean uh, issue that i had with uh, uh, michael cooper and other uh, elected officials showing up at uh, these rallies where we actually see uh, you know widespread uh, demonstration of hate and hate symbols that create fear to those who have been victimized by, in this case, Holocaust or uh, the anti-Islam and uh, Islamophobia that is being uh, that is being shown, it's not really. I don't think it's that that is not the role of public officials. Our role is to unite people. Our role is to actually bring people together. Let's talk about our shared values and how we tackle these complex, complicated challenges and uh, and build a society where we all feel that this is our place. Let me tell you, I want to believe that that is still possible. I do believe it's still possible, although it's hard to believe some days to bring ourselves to believe that. I appreciate hearing a civic leader and elected leader speak like this. I want to ask you about a statement from United Conservative Caucus Chair uh, Nathan Newdorf uh, relating to the blockade at the border south of Lethbridge. And there's word that the truckers have decided it's like we're seeing hostage takers tell the police what they're willing to do here. It's pretty unbelievable. It's pretty remarkable. I've got my own thoughts and I'll share later. Uh, but speaking on behalf of the United Conservative Caucus, this is the government. Uh, Nathan Newdorf says, you know, uh, reports have surfaced that the rural caucus, UCP rural caucus, has negotiated an agreement to temporarily end the Coots blockade pending the outcome of a rural caucus meeting to discuss the immediate lifting of the restrictions exemption program. Uh, sources say that the Alberta government could lift the restrictions exemptions program. This is vaccine requirements. These are the QR codes going in and out of restaurants and everything else uh, within the next number of days. Now, a city can set its own tone. A city can set its own policy. How do you intend to respond to this if the exemptions program is lifted uh, before you believe or before public health voices may believe that it's time? You know, I really urge, uh, I really urge the province to be very cautious. Uh, and uh, decisions should be made on the best evidence available from scientists and health professionals that, that we don't rush into uh, lifting the restrictions that we're all tired of. Uh, but we need to continue to play our part and, uh, and make sure that restrictions are only lifted when we feel that we are able to do so in a safe way. So can and, you see uh, the city of Edmonton setting its own policy then? I don't know that, you know, I have uh, asked this question to our administration to uh, uh, to be prepared to, uh, 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 you know, respond to people's questions related to the one you have posed. So uh, we'll see what they come back with. But I want to say, Ryan, that, you know, I have family and friends who are in the trucking industry, right? They're all vaccinated. They have all done their part to protect themselves, to protect their 
colleagues to protect each other and protect their family members. I think I think saying that this is a trucker's convoy, I think is doesn't really do justice to the 90% of truckers who have done their part. I think we need to find a different language and different uh, terminology to describe these of these type of uh, abrupt behavior on part of a very small group of people. What language or what word would you suggest, Mayor? Because I've got a whole bunch in mind. What would you go with? I think we need to call what it is. It it is about uh, ultra-right expression of uh, uh, an ideology that doesn't believe in... uh, uh, in uh, in uh, collective responsibility to protect each other, and all of us doing our part, uh, and is solely focused on very narrow definition of uh, personal freedom, without any accountability to the community, without any accountability to society, and the well-being of other people, and, and uh, you know having, I, I think that's how we need to look at these things. I understand the frustration. Absolutely, I'm frustrated too. And all of us frustrated, uh, and but our frustration should not lead to irresponsible behavior that will actually cause more damage, not only to our community members but also to our economy for the long term and our well-being for the long term. Mayor, I've got uh, your colleague down in Calgary, Mayor Gondek, ready to go, and I've got to respect her time. Uh, but I also don't want to leave you hanging. You said you'd love to talk what you're proud about. Can, can we do it? Can we do a synopsis in, in 30 seconds? And you and I will Absolutely. obviously chat again. No, what are you most proud of in your first 100 days? You know, the work we are doing on supportive housing, the work that we have started doing on anti-racism, uh, making sure people feel safe, the way we are supporting our artists who have struggled a lot, the way we are building our infrastructure, such as, uh, you know, uh, Lewis Farms Rec Center or Coronation Center, those investments are creating jobs, they're helping us build better cities, and uh, they are going to create amenities that people have waited for for a long, long time. So we are on the right path. I'm very proud of the collaborative approach uh, that our council member has taken on this, and, uh, and look forward to uh, maybe coming back in another 100 days, Ryan, and uh, talk more about uh, uh, how this council is accomplishing on behalf of uh, Edmontonians. I always appreciate your availability, Mayor. Thank you for this. Yeah, take care. That's His Worship, uh, Amarjeet Sohi, the 36th Mayor of the City of Edmonton. Coming up in literally one minute, Calgary's Mayor Jody Gondek. I want to remind you that if you're headed for a hotter locale, if you're going to treat yourself with a getaway, your family is deserving of a mental health break and and a trip somewhere where you can feel the sand between your toes why not save a whole bunch of dough by booking your airport parking online right now at jetsetparking.com you're gonna love dealing with them this is what our family does when we head out of town i go to jetsetparking.com with at least 24 hours notice ahead of time keep in mind you can book for travel all the way through till the end of 2022 when you book your parking when you schedule it make sure you use the promo code real talk and that means that you're going to be able to park for seven dollars a day that's it seven bucks a day with the promo code real talk at jetsetparking.com our friends at eden landscaping invite you to come check out their portfolio come check out what they can do under the services link on their website landscapeedmonton.ca When you go with Eden Landscaping, they bring 20 plus years of experience with them and a resolve. They do not leave until you are completely satisfied. They are a one-stop shop, which means the consultation, the design, and of course the construction all fits under 
their banner. You're not having to hire other people. You're not having to worry about communication between all the people that are doing the job. It is customer satisfaction, job number one, bringing outdoor spaces to life with Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. Well, the first 100 days, hard to believe, logged by the mayors of uh, Alberta's two most populated cities, and that includes my hometown, the city of Calgary, where Dr. Jody Gondek uh, won an inspiring victory and uh, certainly got right to work. You'll remember in an exclusive interview on this show, the morning after the election, uh, she declared that her first order of business would be to declare a climate emergency. It got everybody's attention. Uh, Mayor Gondek, I'm happy to let you know that that wound up as a top three most downloaded episode of this program in our short history of 14 months. Obviously, it caught a lot of people's attention. Welcome to the show. Hard to believe it's been 100 days already. Uh, it's hard to believe on so many levels. And you're welcome for getting a top three. <laughs> I really appreciate it. We actually heard from a few sponsors that were quite tickled to be part of that episode uh, 100 days ago or so. What sort of an impact did that have for you? I mean, obviously, you had uh, a lot of experience as a city councilor, but you're very early in your tenure as mayor. And I know that it sent a lot of ripples through downtown and for that matter, uh, across the oil and gas industry across the country. Um, let's check in a 100 days later on the power, the impact of that statement. I'm actually really proud of council for rallying together and passing that declaration. The impact that it's had is that our city has um, renewed its reputation for being innovators, um, for being committed and dedicated to clean energy transition and transformation. I can tell you when I went down to Houston for the World Petroleum Congress, um, people were very impressed with the progress that Calgary-based energy companies were making. And frankly, what we did as a local government is simply follow in the footsteps of what the energy sector had already committed to. So that morning, we had an energy leaders breakfast where we came together and I explained that our council wanted to make the same commitments to net zero by 2050. And it was very inspiring to be in a room with people that were all committed to climate action. A mayor's in a tough spot, though. I mean, if you're if you're the CEO of of whatever tc energy or any other big company uh and you invest hundreds of millions or billions of dollars into a solar farm or into sustainable energy initiatives or what have you shareholders will believe that you're doing it because that's where industry is going that's what scientists are saying that's what economists believe is the astute move but as a mayor uh i've seen it i've witnessed it firsthand what happens to you there's big blowback from a significant population in your city and whether we like it or not, politicians have to worry about stuff like that. Is there a double standard? Is there a misunderstanding? How do you sort that out from the mayor's office? I think human nature is one where we need to um, categorize things and polarize things. I think life is just easier when we decide that something is right or wrong, black or white. It's us or them. And I think that's what happens in this conversation about climate action. If you are for taking action on climate, then you must be against the energy sector. And it's not that simple. It is much more complex than that. And you know what? As an elected official, you have to wear that blowback. Um, I knew that this would happen. And, um, you know, we persevered through it as a council. We did the absolute right thing. We are seeing now that we are ranked um, in the top five in North America for clean tech as a city. We are a destination for people to live and work because we have shown that we are a progressive city. And I'm a brand ambassador. I have to deliver the messages of how progressive the city is, and I will continue to do that. 
I I have to ask you, obviously, and I'm sure you're eager to talk about the Coots border blockade. It's just a couple of hours south from your city, the city of Calgary. People listening to this on the podcast won't see the body language that you just showed us, which is a a deep sigh and a bit of an eye roll. How are you making sense of of what you're seeing down there? I mean, there's obviously so many implications here. I'm interested to see which angle you're going to take in answering the question. I think it was just over a year ago when I came on your show for the first time. And I think I said something like I was broken because I saw protesters on the steps of City Hall wearing um, hate patches, um, pretending to protest lockdowns when really it was a different message. And um, I said then that I could not tolerate that on the streets of my city and I would stand up against it. What we're seeing now with the convoy that went to Ottawa and what we're seeing at Coots is not actual members of the industry rising up to talk about how they've been wronged. We have seen that being completely taken away from members of the trucking industry, and the message is now different. It is just a message of obstruction. It is not even delivering um, you know, the, the thought that they had, that they've been treated poorly by, by mandates for vaccines. Now we're just seeing disruption and it's disruption for the sake of disruption. The folks down in Coots that actually live down there and people that are trying to make a living, they can't get access to emergency services. Kids can't get to school. We are disrupting the supply chain. There's there's meat on these trucks that is going bad. So, you know, I, I don't understand what they're trying to accomplish. I, I completely disagree with this form of protest. You went down, you made a point, move on. An interesting point from former conservative MP Joan Crockett on this show yesterday, who insisted that because this was happening at the border and I had a bunch of people push back saying it's not at the border. This is not federal jurisdiction. Let's not muddy those waters. Let's just get right to it. She says this is Justin Trudeau's problem, not Jason Kenney. She let the premier off the hook a little bit. This certainly is a problem for Jason Kenney, and it could become a very big problem for Justin Trudeau. What would you like to see Alberta's premier do and what role do you think the federal government should play here? You know what? We have something called the RCMP. Go and get rid of these so-called protesters. Let's move on. Get them out of there. Find them. Charge them. Let's go. If this was somebody else disrupting our economy, I guarantee they would be treated differently. Mayor, I've got so many different theories from folks that believe that they know why the arena deal collapsed or at least why Everybody pressed pause on it. Some people believe it's because there was a call for extra sidewalks. Some people believe it's because you or spokespeople for you wanted to see solar panels on the building. I don't blame you. Optically, take a look at what Seattle just did with their new arena. And I've had a whole bunch of people ask me in the last 24 hours if the arena deal or the collapse of that deal had anything to do with the dismissal of your chief of staff who ran your successful mayoral campaign, Stephen Carter. Can you take us into why you believe the deal fell apart? And can you comment, please, on Stephen Carter being sent walking yesterday? When it comes to the arena deal, um, back in July of last year, we had a renegotiation presented to us as a council. And I remember at the time being incredibly concerned that one party would be taking on all the cost overruns. It was a very unpredictable and uncertain time um, with the pandemic. And my concern continues to be that the cost overruns are what will um, slow down a lot of projects. And the event center was no different than any other project. We're seeing the same sorts of concerns with the green line. So I think with the pandemic 
causing a lot of disruption, I believe that the economics of that deal simply were no longer tenable by December. So I cannot speak on behalf of Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation, but what I can tell you is that deals that are made, um, you know, two years uh, before a major pandemic and then are renegotiated during a time that we're seeing a lot of supply chain disruption do go sideways sometimes. And I don't think there's any blame to lay here. I think we are in a situation where the economy is so unpredictable, it couldn't go forward in the way that it was uh, originally intended. So, you know, it, I think the event center deal was a victim of circumstance. But, but it, that makes it kind of sound to me like almost you pulled the pin um, where I think that the understanding of most folks is that the Calgary Sports and Entertainment Group walked away from this. And I know that a lot of Calgarians are concerned that there may or not, may not be another deal to be had. I personally believe there's always another deal to be had. And I think that the district is going to get built. Um, is it inaccurate the way that I've framed it here? I mean, was it the city that pumped the brakes on this one? Do you think that you kill, still could get a deal done, including the hundreds of millions of dollars of commitment that you had in place? So I should clarify that the mayor cannot um, make or break a deal. You know what I I'm have saying, one though. You, I know for what sure. you're You can influence your council. I'm just speaking generally. Yeah, speaking generally, what we can see is that 15 members of council, that being all of us, decided that there is an opportunity for the entertainment district to move forward and the event center should absolutely be a part of it. We are looking forward to March 8th when we find out um, whether Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation is still interested in moving forward with something, whatever that looks like. And, you know, what other parties might we need to speak to? Remember, Calgary Stampede is right there, too. And there are other landowners that might have ideas about how we move this thing forward. Um, it was certainly not uh, my intention to kill anything. If you remember back to November of last year, we had a Calgary Planning Commission meeting and this item went on for about six hours. And I was there for that whole meeting. I was trying to explain to members of commission that something called prior to release conditions is the way that we ensure that everybody in the room and both parties understand what the obligations are of that deal. And that was where everything was outlined very clearly. We moved that item forward. We approved it to get to the point so that we could get shovels in the ground for January. So I was as disappointed as everyone else. Will you still get a deal done? It is absolutely our goal to make that entertainment district come to life. And the event center is absolutely a part of it. So okay. we will do everything we can. Was, was your chief of staff, your former chief of staff's dismissal, Stephen Carter's dismissal, was that related to the arena deal collapse? Thank you for the question. I will not be commenting on the dismissal of my chief of staff. Okay. It's a personnel matter. Okay. I've got a question here from Emily who says, uh, I'm loving real talk. She says, I see you've got Calgary's mayor on. Uh, I'm wondering if you'd please ask uh, Jody Gondek about potentially keeping the vaccine passport program or the restrictions exemption program uh, in place, even if it's scrapped by our, our lovely premier within days. She says it'd be good to know what kind of hellfire we might be walking into. Uh, mayor Sohi up in Edmonton says that they're still considering their options. He said he has some asks in with some experts. What about down in Calgary? Yeah, we're in the same position. And, um, you know, we have been down this road before. I've seen this movie where restrictions were lifted prematurely and we fell into another position of having another wave. And municipalities across this province have been put in a very difficult position where we've had to make decisions about the public safety and public health of our citizens in the face of a, a vacuum of action. 
um, from the provincial government. I really hope that after uh, a few lessons, they understand that lifting restrictions too early could be a terrible situation for us down the road. So just like Mayor Sohi, we are waiting and watching to see what the province is going to do. And we do have a team of experts at um, our emergency management agency, as well as the University of Calgary. We rely on the science and data. Uh, sitting city councilor Sean Chu has been accused of forcible confinement, sexual assault while he was serving the city as a Calgary police officer. There have been spirited and sustained demands for his resignation. He remains a member of Calgary City Council. What is this doing to your council and what do you see the future looking like for Councillor Sean Chu? Well, if you want me to be completely honest, Please it's do. horrible. It's absolutely horrible to walk in there and understand that you're sitting with someone who was not just accused, but found responsible Mm -hmm. for um, sexual assault against a child. It is a ridiculous and terrible situation to put the rest of us into every single time that we go into those council chambers. Do you continue to explore options, the levers that potentially you could pull to influence this situation? Absolutely. Absolutely. What do those look like, Mayor? they don't look good. There's not a lot of power that we have. Um, I have appealed to the province several times. Um, I have appealed to the individual to be responsible and step away and resign. Ultimately, that would be the best decision that could be made. Uh, It doesn't look like that's going to be the one. So we continue to try to find ways to to take action that's desperately needed. I want to ask you this in closing. Um, You know, I'm, 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 gobsmacked at what I'm seeing uh, down on that uh, Canada-U.S. border. I'm gobsmacked at the negotiations I'm seeing between RCMP and these uh, Mayor So, he doesn't want me calling them truckers, but for purposes of expediency, I'll say these truckers that are blocking the border and the truckers are deciding that they're going to open up lanes and let people through, but they're going to close them again if they don't see the federal government do what they want to do, if they don't see the provincial government do what they want to do. To me, it looks almost like a hostage-taking type scenario where the wrong people are calling the shots. And then we've got people, an estimated crowd of about 35, 40 of them showing up outside your home not just you, Calgary MP George Chahal, the United Conservative Cabinet Ministers and MLAs that have been subjected to the same treatment. It appears to be nonpartisan treatment, uh, but probably more focused at the so-called progressive politicians. There's been a real change of tone in how people are taking and expressing power in the political realm and otherwise. Where's your head at with this? Why are we letting them do this? Why are we not taking action? I can remember a lot of other protests where action was taken swiftly, immediately, and um, we removed people who were protesting for too long uh, for supposedly the wrong reasons. They were disrupting our society. And yet these folks just get to do what they want to. You know, I, I don't think I need to explain to people what is happening here. I think we can all understand what this is. And the warning signs have been around for many, many years. Those of us who have experienced this kind of hate our entire lives can tell you that this is not something that will go away on its own. It is something that we need to take action against. And we need to unite as a society to fight back against this. This can't keep going on. We're watching it get worse. 13 months ago, I said that I felt broken. You know what? Now I just feel numb. I share the feeling and you know I saw Jen Gerson a columnist yesterday say this is all going to end badly isn't it and you know or end poorly and and I responded to her it's it it'll be poor ending after poor ending after poor ending because depending on your perspective 
I mean, ask Aaron O'Toole, the only federal leader that agreed to meet with the convoy in Ottawa. He's gone. The convoy got Aaron O'Toole gone. Apparently, Aaron O'Toole's an enemy to freedom as well. Uh, Aaron O'Toole is not right wing enough. And I'm curious to see where the federal party goes. But I just I'm, I'm trying to wrap my mind around this. I don't believe that our work and arguably your work uh, has ever been more important, quite frankly. Let's end on a positive. What's one thing that you're absolutely proud of in your first hundred days? I am very proud that this council actually took action on reconciliation. I'm very proud that this council voted to dedicate the money we need for land purchase to create an indigenous gathering place in our city. And the fact that we are discussing what that means for indigenous people and where the indigenous gathering place society and stakeholders are telling us it should be located more than likely will be at the confluence of our two rivers. And that is incredibly encouraging. And I'm very optimistic about the future of our city due to moves like this. That's Calgary's Mayor Jody Gondek. Always appreciate your availability, Mayor. Congratulations on the first 100 days. We'll look forward to connecting again. Thanks for having me on. Have a great day. You bet. You as well. That's Calgary's Mayor Jody Gondek. Michael, uh, watching live on YouTube. Michael, thank you for tuning in. Says, wow, Mayor Gondek was quick to jump on Sean Chu, uh, but wouldn't say anything on Stephen Carter. Apparently, he has a lot of complaints against him uh, on council and city hall. First of all, Chu and Carter, uh, apples and oranges first of all not even close to related and a poor comparison uh number one the guys uh basically you know people are looking to hold him to account for sexual assault of a minor um and carter rubs people the wrong way (laughs) carter's a personal friend of mine carter's extremely skilled uh he wins campaigns that's what he does Uh, he won a campaign for ned nenshi won a campaign for jody gondek he is opinionated. He can be abrasive. Uh, some people are wondering if he rubbed the wrong person the wrong way. Some people have wondered if it was his involvement in the arena deal. This is all speculation. Of course, Stephen Carter will be welcome to appear on the show. I've sent him a note just as a pal, letting him know I was sorry to see it. Uh, he's co-host of The Strategist, and we love having The Strategists on the show, so perhaps we'll endeavor to get them back as well. But not even close comparing Sean Chu and Stephen Carter. Completely different scenarios. Secondly, there are probably implications where if you get the CEO of an organization, I mean, let, I'm case in point. When I got fired from a, a multi-billion dollar mega communications corporation, newspapers, not just in our hometown of Edmonton, but across the country, including the Globe and Mail and National Post, were reporting on it and requesting comment from executives of that company. Those executives would not provide comment. Why? Because legal proceedings were inevitable and underway. That's how it goes. Now, it's not my business, nor do I know how Stephen Carter's contract was structured. He's a smart guy. I'm sure he's going to be well looked after. I'm sure his family will be fine in the short term, and he'll find something else. But very rarely will you find someone, let alone a mayor, uh, to provide candid commentary about why someone was fired because it's fuel for a potential lawsuit. She's not going to go on the record. But if I didn't ask the question, I wouldn't be doing my job. And so we asked the question. As a matter of fact, I kind of asked it twice, once with a soft little fluff ball to enter it into the conversation and then followed by a direct one. She clearly was not going to give us an answer to that question, which is an answer in itself. I always remind people of that. Our thanks to both mayors for joining us. 
we appreciate that. I'm curious for your thoughts now on what you just heard. This doesn't have to be your hometown. What do you make of the mayor of the city of Calgary talking about a climate emergency in her city? What do you make her about her talking about meaningful reconciliation? What about Mayor Amarjeet Sohi talking about his first 100 days, affordable housing, what he's most proud of, and of course the challenges that he faces as well. Talk at Ryan Jesperson is where you can get in touch with us. That's how the key, so to speak, to our inbox. Fashion uh, psychologist Don Karen. Dr. Karen's going to join us in just a moment um, as we officially kick off our Black History Month coverage. We had an interview lined up for you a couple of days ago. It fell through. No matter. We're going to rebook that one and we're going to have a lot to talk about. Sarah Hoyles, the editorial producer of the show, has been putting in some really great ass on unique and interesting subject matter on how we approach this. Hoyles wanted to say good morning to you, my friend. How are you doing this morning? Rangers just on his best behavior on the couch behind you. People are getting in touch with me being like, Ranger might be the best dressed staffer on the Real Talk team. He's got his, uh, it's like a it's like a, a, a faux fur lined coat there, plaid flannel. The guy looks like more comfortable than you could possibly imagine. Yeah, he gets cold. He has very short hair. I've never, <laughs> I've never believed in dogs getting clothes. I've always thought like, come on, it's a dog. I mean, I love dogs, but it's a dog. They don't need clothes. You don't dress up your dogs in clothes. Like you, you don't give your dog the like the uh, booty shorts that say juicy on the back. Those aren't your dogs wearing those at the park. Um, surprisingly, no, no. that is not me. Okay. Um, but with range, range is short haired. So he he like quit like shivers and he actually lies on top of the heat vent. Oh, yeah. Just try- so I was like, OK, message received. You need a coat. I know that I know that you're you're working from home and doing an admirable job. If you need one more reason why you can count your blessings this morning, uh, our associate producer, Emily Baczynski, and I are here right now. And Hoyles, you know that I have this this high tech device here that tells me what time it is and when to wrap up my interviews. It also has a a thermometer on it. And uh, uh, with that, I can tell you right now that it is sixteen point five degrees here in our frenetically heated and cooled studio. How are you holding up, Em? Like you're you're doing all right. I don't need my fingers to talk, uh, but I can tell you I can barely feel my fingertips right now. They're so cold. How are you? You need your hands. It's chilly. I'm going by a visual confirmation that I am pushing buttons because I don't think I have a lot of feeling <laughs> in my fingertips at the moment. Just wait till we see our breath. That's yes. when we're going to know that it's an issue. Um, Sarah, we're going to check back in with you in just a little bit. Of course, you're keeping an eye on stories that are developing through the day. We'll talk more about Aaron O'Toole's dismissal as conservative leader, Candace Bergen, of course, stepping in as interim conservative leader, which also, by the way, means based on the party's constitution that she cannot seek the leadership permanently. Last person to do that was Ronna Ambrose. Uh, I saw Kristen Rayworth, a friend of the show, speaking out yesterday. She goes, why is it always the women that are stepping up in the interim leadership roles? Interesting question to be posed. Uh, Before we get to Black History Month, Dr. Dawn Karen, looking forward to this conversation. I wanted to touch on something quickly and circle back on it. Kim says, how many people even know who Mayor Sohi's chief of staff is? I don't. She says Carter's a personality in his own right. So that's why we're curious. Uh, she says, meh, I'm more excited about our city's progression. That from Kim. Let me tell you who Mayor Sohi's chief of staff is. It's Lisa Holmes, who's the former mayor of Morinville, uh, who was with me as one of Edmonton's top 40 under 40 and is the former president of the AUMA, the Alberta Urban Municipalities Association. She is arguably the most qualified and experienced and skilled 
mayoral chief of staff that any of us will have heard of or discussed in recent memory. And she's doing an incredible job. Much different personality than Stephen Carter, to be sure. But that's great. Carter brings something to the mix. Holmes brings something to the mix. And so have other chiefs of staff, all with their own unique styles. Let me tell you about our Real Talk Wine of the Month. We're so proud to be partnering with Kendall Jackson. You can view them online. Check this out. I want to show you this at kj.com. You sign in and you can visit the Kendall Jackson Winery. Down in, uh, I mean, the West Coast of the U.S. is where so many fabulous wines, Chardonnays and Pinot Noirs are produced. And Kendall Jackson is right there at the top of the list. Still family owned and family run. I mean, arguably the biggest wine brand in North America still run by the same family. They take big steps to leave small footprints. As a matter of fact, on their website, kj.com, you can specifically click on their sustainability initiatives and learn more about why they were awarded the 2020 Green Company of the Year at the Drinks Business Green Awards for 2020. This is a wine purchase you can feel good about. Oh yeah, and by the way, the wines will knock your socks off. You can find them at Wine and Beyond, at Co-op, beer and liquor stores down in the city of Calgary, and anywhere you buy fine wine. If you don't see Kendall Jackson on the shelf, we want to encourage you to ask for it. Our friends at Kubi Energy are bringing solar energy solutions to power your life across Western Canada. Whether you're a cattle rancher or perhaps you've got a welding shop, maybe you've got a house that's 100 years old, you're overhauling it and you want to bring it into a new century. They do it all. Industrial, agricultural, commercial, residential. You can get a free quote today installed by Tesla certified journeyman installers at kubienergy.com. CA. And a big shout out to our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. I loved this post on their Instagram yesterday. We didn't talk about Groundhog Day because, quite frankly, it was a discouraging one. One of the groundhogs died yesterday, and the other groundhog predicted six more weeks of winter hell. And so we decided to leave that on the shelf. But the encouraging angle came from our friends at Dairy Queen on Baseline Road in Sherwood Park. They asked, what's the one DQ menu item you could order again and again and again and again in the spirit of Groundhog Day? For me, I'm going to say the score blizzard. I've been converted. The score blizzard. Do you have a favorite Dairy Queen menu item? Is there one? Like, Do you have a go-to at Dairy Queen? If you're, uh, if you're getting, is it a blizzard first? I don't want to make I, assumptions. Oh, it's definitely, I am an Oreo blizzard, like, purist. I was. And then Hoyle's got to me. Oh, she gets to everybody. She wouldn't stop talking about the score blizzard. And finally, I was like, fine, I'll try it. And then I was like, I see what all the hype is about. It is a textural uh, phenomenon with the score blizzard, I will say. Would you be willing to step away from the Oreo blizzard to try a score blizzard and see what might happen? You know what? I will. I will do this for you. Okay. Well, maybe we'll do it as a team exercise. Do it for you. Do it for Hoyles. Well, I want to ask Sarah now. So would you be willing, in the spirit of stepping outside our comfort zone, Sarah, would you be willing to step away from the score blizzard and try an Oreo blizzard or something else? Well, this is the thing is I used to be all Oreo all the time. Oh my gosh. This is everyone's, uh, this is everyone's experience. And then I tried the score. I don't even remember how I got onto the score, but score (laughs) <laughs> okay. Oh, well, I see what you did there, Hoyles. I see what you did. All right. Okay. So there we have it. It's going to be score blizzards uh, all around. And and I, and I don't blame Sarah for not going back because I didn't either. You can visit the Dairy Queens at Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. 
We're going to talk federal politics in just a little bit, but it is uh, February, of course, Black History Month. And I'm very much looking forward to this conversation on the fashion industry and black representation. Dr. Don Karen is a fashion psychologist based out of the Big Apple, New York City, educated at Columbia University. Uh, Dr. Karen studies how color, beauty, style, image and shape affects human behavior. While addressing cultural sensitivities and cultural norms. What a fascinating area of expertise. Dr. Karen, welcome back to Real Talk. It's wonderful to see you again. Hey, everybody. Nice to be here. Are, are you in NYC right now? Yes, I'm currently in New York City. No, oh, good stuff. Well, listen, uh, you know, before we get into, I mean, there's a fascinating uh, a Vogue cover that we want to take a look at, British Vogue, in just a second. But, but generally speaking, as a, as a black woman, what does Black History Month mean to you personally, doctor? Well, let me let me uh, let me start off by saying, you know, as a black woman, it's great to celebrate and have a moment to celebrate all things black. Um, but it's the shortest month of the uh, of the year. So True. Um, womp womp. <laughs> True. Yeah, the optics could have been different. They could have picked a different month. Could have made it January. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? A, lo- a longer month. You know. So. Yeah. Where does your where does your focus go though? Every Black History Month. Is there something in particular? Is there a heightened awareness? Uh, well, I'm always aware because I'm always black. So I'm, I'm always in, in spaces where I'm always the only. Uh, um, so I always have to be conscious and always have to be aware of, of myself and how I represent uh, my race or my ethnicity and what have you. <laughs> Let's get into that, because that's not something that white people think about, doctor. Uh, it, it's just not. I mean, sorry to be Captain Obvious, but that's not white people don't worry about how they represent their race quite clearly, as a matter of fact. Right. And I, I love your show because we can actually be candid. So I am the first black uh, female psychology professor at the number one fashion university in the world, the Fashion Institute of Technology. And as I said, and often oftentimes I'm in many spaces where I'm the other. So I, I have that burden. It's almost a burden, I feel like. Um, I can't just think, oh, I'm going into this situation just representing myself. I have to think, okay, wait, they're going to judge me. They're going to judge others. So, you know, I have to literally uh, work 10 times as harder and just be on my P's and Q's um, because it it is a burden. Um, But uh, breaking down the barriers so others don't have to shoulder that burden is is the name of the game. That's that's what uh, drives me. That's what motivates me. It keeps me going. You talk to so many people um, exactly like you. And, uh, you know, I mean, people in positions of leadership, but in particular, people that may be visible or ethnic or religious minorities, members of the LGBTQ community, what have you. Um, We have conversations about sport and fashion and politics and business. And all these experts like you that I talk to say that one of the biggest responsibilities they feel is the impact that they have on the next generation, the influence they have, that young boys and girls can see themselves in you uh when it comes to fashion was there somebody from the generation prior to you that influenced or that spurred your interest in the fashion industry well um i will say uh the mother of all mothers tara banks yeah um she is a fellow sagittarius this woman is uh my everything um and also naomi campbell but those were the women that sort of struck a chord in me. And, you know, I saw that they paved the way for me to be a businesswoman in fashion, not just um, a model, 
you know, not just the fixture. I can have a voice because of those women. Uh, Tyra Banks is just, I mean, Naomi Campbell's obviously one of the all-time greats. I mean, one of the supermodels, yes. but Tyra Banks is on another level, all right? She's, I mean, you, t- you take a look at, at what Oprah's done, and then you, Tyra Banks uh, across media has just yes. been a force. And and if there were not a Tyra Banks, there wouldn't be a Don Karen. So wow. I just have to admit that. Yeah, pay that, homage. You that's know. unbelievable. Hey, let's take a look at this cover of British Vogue. Uh, because yeah. on, on the surface, um, and Emily will bring it up for us here, but this cover of British Vogue is, is obviously, I think a lot of people on the surface would say this is absolutely amazing. And for everybody listening, uh, uh, you know, for the benefit of those listening to the podcast, Doctor, could you describe this cover for us? Yeah, so uh, the editor-in-chief, um, Edward Innifel, um, he actually has a, a variety of models grace this cover. And this is the first of its kind. It's very historical. Um, and the particularly how he used uh, dark-skinned Black models, that's something to be celebrated. So that's what the cover is about, essentially. Now I, we we've done some some research and just paid paid attention to some anecdotal feedback comments people make online about the cover, some of the buzz around the cover, and some people have applauded it, saying that it's absolutely yes. remarkable. And others have mm-hmm. have have been somewhat critical of it uh, for saying that it yeah. doesn't capture so-called true black mm-hmm. beauty. Can can you take us into the different perspectives people may have on this cover? Yeah, so this is a bit nuanced, everyone. Um, so yes, this this cover should be applauded for you know having black women on the cover the editor-in-chief prior i will not say uh her name prior to edward interval she said that when you place black women unknown black women on the cover of a magazine they don't sell um i could even tell you celebrities twin celebrities uh t and tamara they uh were had they have a, a huge amount of success and they too were told, hey, if they were placed on the cover, they would not be able to sell. So in this case, um, I, I, I applaud it because it shows black women can sell unknown black women that you're not necessarily you don't know who this person is. They are not Naomi Campbell. So the average everyday person, if they don't follow the fashion industry, the other side, the antithesis of it is um, some people feel that they fetishize you know, what it means to be black, a black woman, the fact that they um, purposely darken the women's skin and uh, yeah, people are, and they put them in uh, European hairstyles. People were expecting something more. Um, but, you know, the buzz, the buzz is, is selling the cover, you know, it's marketing. Um, so not to say that they did this intentionally, but you can't really please everyone. And Edward um, and a full, and there is also like rest in peace, Andre Leon Talley. He was the um, the black editor of Vogue at one point. Uh, he just passed away. So you know these people are put in these positions, and as I said, there's a burden to you know carry and and represent uh, you know many 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 black people around the world. And so sometimes you know you can't please everyone, but you know I'm here for the representation. You know, maybe after that, they'll do another cover and they'll do proper lighting and they'll do uh, more ethnic hairstyles, afros and cornrows and what have you. But for this cover, I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's better than it's better than nothing. Uh, you know, I, I and and first of all, I mean, let me say, for example, Sharon's chiming in right now and, and she says Elle magazine did a cover with all indigenous women. Uh, it was the first time ever. And she said that was absolutely beautiful as well. Let me ask you about. 
about the hair. I I uh, I was speaking with a friend of mine. Uh, she happens to be black, and I uh, I I don't know that she wants me to use her name or not. I will put her on the record. But it was fascinating for me because uh, she she talked about she works in politics, and she was talking about her career in politics, and she talked about how she started being treated differently in the political arena when she changed her hair she says i she says i wanted to wear my hair more naturally she said i stopped using the flat iron i stopped straightening my hair i stopped pulling it back she says and i started being treated differently uh it's something that the average person especially someone that's not black would not think of or may not have on their radar and it's obviously i would imagine applicable to the fashion industry as you've just mentioned yeah, I mean, even with myself, I mean, I'll use myself. Um, I uh, do not wear my natural hair out in public. This may look like my natural hair, but this is a wig. Um, uh, so I will say that, you know, I, in cases, in certain cases, especially being the only and the other, people do, uh, they do look at you differently. Uh, maybe they'll think if I walked into my classroom or walked into spaces, all white spaces, where I'm the other people may think, oh, I'm militant and I'm going to, you know, be take over the place. Some certain people have different stereotypes when it comes to um, hairstyles, um, even cornrows. I personally do not wear cornrows in my hair um, because people have stereotypes. They're going to think that I am from the hood, which I am, um, and that I'm uneducated. And so sometimes, honestly, I'll throw them off a bit. Maybe I won't wear my hair in cornrows, but I'll maybe wear uh, street attire or something, streetwear, just to throw them off. So there's a lot of stereotypes that we're fighting. Uh, black hair can be very political. So I hmm. applaud your friend who actually had the courage, the courage. It takes a lot of courage to uh, be uh, to show a different layer of yourself. Wow. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, she's a, she's a force of nature and she's one of the most skilled and intelligent people I know. And I'm just really proud of her. Jillian is watching. Yeah. Uh, Jillian says being the only person of color in the room sucks so much. I have no words. She says basically <laughs> every room I've ever entered in my entire life. Do you see an evolution forward? Do you, do you see more equity, more representation in the fashion industry? Yes, um, I, I do. I do. We still got a lot of work to do, though. I mean, it's this is not it. <laughs> you know, having uh, people giving people their moments, the first black editor and all of this, this model and that it needs to we need to make sure that this here, this is here to stay. It's not going to be a trending topic. Um, so, you know, we're making strides. But in 2022, it's sad that we're even talking about this, you know. Uh, but again, we are making strides. Um, there are people who have kicked down the door and they're letting others come in. And so uh, we just hope that it's here to stay and it's not going to be something that's fetishized or something that's trending. Yeah. You know, Don, you talked about this British Vogue cover. Um, I don't mean to obsess over it, but I just think it, it's an no. interesting um, study because there, there are a number of different angles we can take on it. You talked about the, the art yeah. director uh, uh, tinting the color of the skin or affecting or impacting the color of the skin. I, yeah. Can we talk about colorism in fashion? Because it, that's, yeah. that's not a mainstream conversation that most people have. And I think it's, first of all, important. And second of all, pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. So basically, um, most people have a tendency to whitewash uh, everything that we do. Um, we have to lighten the skin. Uh, we have to appear more European. Um, so so that's what's going on here. So I, I, I believe that 
you know, the, the person behind the editing and what have you darkened it to show like, okay, we can dark, black can be beautiful. But I actually talk about in my book, uh, my book is called Dress Your Best Life. There's a chapter called Colors and Context. And black can also be an intimidating color alone. So yes, we're talking black as skin color, but also it is actually a color, everyone, right? And so we're being called a color. Um, people who are brown are not called the race brown. People who um, are yellow and pigmentation are not called the race yellow. So it's interesting that we're called these colors, white and black. And black is a color that, Again, I talk about this in my book. It may not, it, it's it's intimidating. People are sometimes afraid of the color black. And it's just interesting how we're called a color and what, what stereotypes, what psychological meaning comes with being called a color. Does that make sense? I'm not, I don't want to get all too academic on you. No, I and I'm, and I'm, uh, Oh, man, I'm so grateful for this conversation. You, you know what? I, I know the best moments as a broadcaster, especially as a straight white broadcaster, the best moments are the ones where I get a little bit uncomfortable because I'm a little bit out of my depth and I have sincere questions and we have guests like you, experts like you that are willing to take these questions and prompt these conversations. And it's so important. You know, on one hand, you're making such a good point. You know, it, you know, we, we, we talk about and, and I get into these scenarios, right? Like, for example, I just talked to Calgary, Alberta's mayor, Dr. Jody Gondek, and she's Calgary's first female mayor. And uh, she's a woman of color. That's also a first for the city of Calgary. But I felt quite awkward, as a matter of fact, interviewing her last fall when she won the first question being like, oh, you're Calgary's first, you know, first female mayor. And it's kind of like, I'm sure she just wants to talk about being the damn mayor. Um, and so you feel awkward asking those questions. When you point out that somebody is the first black, whatever, or, or they're, they're a black professor or a black astronaut or what have you, on one hand, it can feel like this is something to celebrate. On another hand, it feels like we should stop marking these occasions because it's 2022. And then you've got the whole conversation about people that don't capitalize the word black versus the people that do. I mean, there's a lot that goes into the conversation. Do you feel like people... <laughs> Do you feel like white people are getting better at learning more about this? First of all, can I just ask a straight question? Yeah, yeah, and I'm going to be blunt, and I'm teaching them. So, and yeah. and, and they're learning. Good. They're learning. They're receptive. I'm teaching them. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do feel like people's eyes are open. I, I think with the internet and us exposing, you know, our experiences, you know, through our lenses, you know, before there were certain type of people who controlled what we saw on television, what we saw through that lens. Now with our cameras, you know, with uh, corporations such as YouTube or what have you, they can broadcast our own experiences and people can see, you know, our experiences from our eyes. So um, kudos to that. But yeah, I mean, I, I teach, I teach uh, white people <laughs> how to uh, 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 just how to have some awareness that they didn't have before, and and I'm not coming at it at it away. I'm not coming at it in a way where it's um you know I'm going to make them feel guilty. No, it's just okay. Maybe you didn't look at it like that, and I'm here to tell you, hey, that exists. So so yeah, it's just interesting. Um, I in 2022, yes, I do take pride in being the first black female psychology professor. Oh yes, and being the youngest and da da da. But it's like, I don't want to be known as the black fashion psychologist. Yes. I'm the world's fashion psychologist, you know? Yes. So it's, it's you know, However, it's annoying sometimes. Annoying but sometimes, but on the same hand, like you're you're shattering glass ceilings and you're tra blazing yes. trails and it's amazing. Yes. And yet yes. at the same time, you want to get to uh, 
an era or a reality where people aren't characterizing it like that. I mean, that yes, I can. I mean, I, that, I can't say I, I've walked miles in your shoes. Obviously not, but I can sure understand when you when you describe it like that. It's very understandable. Yeah, yeah, and I, I would say, I mean, yes, it, I, I don't want to, because um, I am in this position, it's very important to me. So I don't want to, you know, demean that. It's just, it's 2022, and I just want to be learn. I just want to be known as the world's, you know, fashion's like, oh, the world, you know, it's, you, are. you know, other people, you know what I'm saying? So yes, I am, I am breaking those barriers. It is true. Thank you for the acknowledgement. <laughs> Doctor, every single time we, it's, I mean, I just, first of all, I feel like we're friends. Second of all, I just want you to know how much I respect you and your perspective and the conversations that you drive with our audience across the country. Uh, we've been listening to Dr. Don Karen, her new book uh, published in 2020, rather, uh, Dress Your Best Life. And of course, there's so many different reasons to check it out. Uh, last time you were on the show, we were talking more about the book in particular, so people can search our podcast archives, our YouTube archives, if they want to see that interview as well. I suspect many will. Dr. Don Karen, live from New York City. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. She's a legend. I love I, I, I'm a big fan of what she does, and I'm a big fan of how she can make uh, perspectives accessible to people outside of those that would have those personal perspectives, including me. You know what I'm saying? There were some interesting tweets that Sarah Hoyles picked uh, relating to this British Vogue cover. And, you know, not everyone's going to feel the same about it. And and Dr. Karen uh, specified that. And I thought that was interesting. Check this out. I mean, this one here in particular, this is pretty interesting. A woman says, I I, I just would like black women to be represented as they are. You know, those women are stunning on the cover. Sometimes the, the European or fashion gaze exoticizes black women by darkening them to make art. And it's giving a bit of a fetish, you know, even very dark skin has tones and highlights and it not, it's not just one dimensional. And this was an interesting perspective as well. Uh, woman says, uh, I, I am South Sudanese and I've lived here probably longer than these models. And I can assure you that there is nobody moving around looking like this as an artist. I can also assure you this is not art. This is black skin porn. This is black fetish. This is reverse bleaching you can let us know what you think about this i really am grateful for jillian's perspective if this resonates with you personally we want to hear from you and of course throughout the month of february we'll be bringing different conversations and unpredictable conversations to the mix in relation to black history month our friends at dram in a can we were so proud to have them out supporting the real talk pond hockey classic this past weekend in saint albert Every contestant that showed up to skate that day was given a bag. They had their jersey in there with the big Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic logo on it. And they had a roll of pride tape and they had a two stacks Irish whiskey dram in a can. It's 100 milliliters of beautifully blended Irish whiskey. Perfect on the go. Fishing trips, camping trips. Maybe you're a mountain biker. And once you get up there through the pass, you've completed the switchbacks and you want to crush a whiskey at the top with your friends maybe around a campfire how perfect would that be two stacks is the most convenient method of delivery you're going to find you'll track down two stacks irish whiskey the dram in a can at sherbrooke liquor stores in edmonton they've got two of them now including their beautiful new location in otwell and i've also received word from the crew at sherbrooke liquor that they do have at least as of yesterday they had just a few bottles left of our real talk cast number one bourbon 
That's the Woody Creek bourbon that we did in partnership with actor William H. Macy. Uh, we're looking forward to selling out that cask. There's, My understanding is just three bottles left. You can find them at Sherbrooke Liquor. They're down to their last few, so make sure you go ahead and check that out. The team at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge wants to remind you that there's no Dodge or Jeep dealership in the province of Alberta with better selection than them. Uh, in part because they can share their inventories. If you check them out online, you'll see they've got some limited time offers and then some great standing offers on not just new vehicles like the Jeep Grand Cherokee, the Dodge Durango, or even the Jeep Grand Wagoneer. This is Jeep's re-entry into the full-size luxury class, but they've also got a great pre-owned selection. You can scan and shop it all online or in person. Check out more under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. And our friends at Park Power want to remind you that this is a perfect time of year as the temperatures, I mean, unless you're tuned in from Costa Rica or Guatemala or somewhere else glamorous and exotic, you're probably seeing your natural gas and your electricity bills jump these months a great time to check out parkpower.ca you can compare rates from your current service provider to their utility provision and figure out probably quite quickly like many real talkers have that this is a way better deal they'll even do the switch over for you so it's nice and simple you can learn more about what they're doing at parkpower.ca officially powering the real talk rj hashtag well, we talked about this yesterday with our uh, political panel. I really appreciated those three joining us. And uh, ultimately, the vote went among conservative MPs like a lot of people thought it would uh, against now former conservative party leader, the leader of Her Majesty's official opposition, Aaron O'Toole. Uh, longtime Manitoba MP Kenneth Spurgeon will step into the role on an interim basis until a new leader is chosen for the party. Sarah Hoyles has been keeping an eye on this story. This was uh, obviously, uh, I think, a tough loss to state the very least for Aaron O'Toole. Nobody likes to see uh, somebody and their staff sent packing. Well, some people love to see it, but you never want to revel in it. Uh, some folks have. It's been a really interesting dynamic because I think a lot of the you know, people that have been paying attention to the convoy and the demonstrations and the border blockade figured that these were cons- conservative party supporters. Aaron O'Toole said, I'm going to go meet with them. And he took a lot of flack for saying he was willing to meet with them. And all of a sudden it became very apparent, especially with the celebrations yesterday. It wasn't the lefties. It wasn't the granola munching Birkenstock wearing tree scaling pipeline protesting liberals and dippers that were celebrating his dismissal. As a matter of fact, I saw Jagmeet Singh tweet out that, you know, he doesn't agree with Aaron O'Toole on a lot of things, but he thanked him for his service and he wished him well. Um, It was a lot of right-wing conservatives that were telling him to GTFO. And that's been an interesting twist and an interesting indicator, just one of them, Candace Bergen's another, on where this conservative party may be headed. Where's your head at? Well, Aaron O'Toole, I mean, he said yesterday in a video statement that he posted on Twitter that it was an honor of a lifetime, but then he also stated a warning. He said, Canada is in a dire moment of our history. So I think he recognizes the magnitude of this. And yeah, Candace Bergen, um, as it's been stated, she can only be interim. She cannot take the leadership role. Um, But she's known for wearing a very specific hat yeah i mean she she is known for a lot of things yes but 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 yeah so i I don't want to characterize her entire political career nor her capabilities as this hat however uh these days being photographed in a mega hat a make america great again hat uh hers the camo version of it not the red one she's got the camo 
MAGA hat on, I think sends a pretty clear message, as does the scuttlebutt on who people think may seek the leadership of this party. And it appears to me that Pierre Polyev may be the front runner. Keep in mind, he pulled out of the most recent leadership race against Aaron O'Toole, citing family reasons, which people may have questions about. I'm not cracking on someone for citing family reasons, but if he was unavailable for the leadership a year ago and now he's available for the leadership, assuming he's not leaving his family, uh, you have to wonder what might be up with that. I digress. Um, To me, this is risky business for the Conservative Party of Canada if they intend to form government. I mean, it looks to me like instead of going after the, the mainstreamers, the middle grounders, the common sense folks, the progressive conservatives, so to speak, they're swinging further right to try to protect their flank against Maxime Bernier and the People's Party of Canada. I think they're trying to win those votes back and protect those votes, which sends a pretty clear message, I think, to potential conservative voters in Vancouver and Toronto and Montreal and, you know, a lot of other urban centers where votes are really important. Um I'm going to be curious to see how this works out for the Conservative Party of Canada, especially next federal election. They might just be banking on the fact that the prime minister is going to be so unpopular by then that maybe Canadians will be willing to plug their noses and and vote for the right wing. I don't know. I mean, Aaron O'Toole, what has become very clear is that he was not right enough. He was not far right enough. And that to me is is shocking in that, you know, when I was growing up, it was progressive conservatives and we've lost the progressive piece. Um, we are going all conservative all the way. And I just, I don't necessarily know that there's um, an appetite for that. I, I hope there's not an appetite for alt-right, um, but as we've seen across the country and in Southern Alberta, uh, there seems to, there is that appetite. I just hope it's not, a majority yeah. for the well-being of all Canadians, for people of color, for black Canadians, for people that uh, identify as different, like the gender spectrum, like it's only good for one type of person. And I, I, I don't want to live in that Canada. You know, I, I wish that and it's up to me to remember these names. I wish I could remember the name of the real talker that wrote in the other day. I did cite their comments on the show and credit them then. But someone said Aaron O'Toole's trying to ride two horses with one ass. And I thought that that was first of all, the visual it gave me. I was like, gosh, that would my groin is not there to be able to attempt that at 44 years of age. I'll tell you that much. Um, but but it's so true. And. Um, and I think it's very evident. It's it's extremely evident. I mean, the vote yesterday, Aaron O'Toole, there's 119 conservative MPs. So it, he was trying to keep 60 of them uh, in his favor. And even then, a nail biter, if he would have just had 60, I mean, if he would have just won by by 50 percent, that would that, that's not good. All right. I mean, that would be the precursor to him. I mean, it would be like the Titanic hitting a smaller iceberg right before the big one kind of thing. You can't barely escape that type of thing under the Reform Act and then still survive as leader. But I digress. The numbers that matter is that 73 conservative MPs voted to replace him, 45 endorsed him. If you look at the ones that have been loud about it, or for that matter, silent, like Pierre Polyev, he didn't crack on Aaron O'Toole, but he sure didn't jump forward to support him. And then there were others that just straight up cracked on him. These are the more right wing, socially conservative conservatives, the MPs there. And so you could argue, and I think quite rightfully, uh, Aaron O'Toole would argue that he wasn't right wing enough for this party, but he tried his best to meet those folks, that faction of the party where they were at. 
I mean, look no further than his famous outhouse joke. I mean, his porta potty joke on Parliament Hill talking about Justin Trudeau. I mean, that blew up in his face. That's for the poly nerds that know what I'm talking about. What about him meeting with the truck convoy? You know, you look at uh, Justin Trudeau, and and this is not here to pump Trudeau's tires, but Justin Trudeau was definitive in saying, I'm not meeting with this convoy. I mean, number one, he didn't say this. These are my words, but they're hanging me in effigy and holding up signs, you know, fuck Trudeau. Why would he meet with them? I would imagine his security detail said you're not meeting with these people, but there were a lot of reasons to not meet with them. Aaron O'Toole put his ass on the line to go meet with these people, and then he's the one that gets the boot. And it was tough for Aaron O'Toole because, quite frankly, this isn't about us and this isn't about this show, but you've got a small P, small C, progressive conservative host. I've interviewed Aaron O'Toole many times through my broadcast and his political career. Hoyles, off the top of my head, seven, eight interview asks with Aaron O'Toole. We said the prime minister's spoken with us. Jagmeet Singh has spoken with us. Anime Paul has spoken with us. We want to talk to every federal political party leader. Would not grant us an interview because... Somebody of influence, I would imagine, suggested that he not. Somebody that provided a very strong and clear endorsement for him. I'm talking about Alberta's premier. So Aaron O'Toole didn't want to anger the right wing. He didn't want to anger the far right conservatives. Wouldn't even talk to a show like this. Wouldn't even talk to us. And now it's the right wing that eats him alive. Then that's got to be a tough pill to swallow for Aaron O'Toole. The question is now what happens to the Conservative Party of Canada? And that's a story that will continue to follow you know, you talk about this evolution, Sarah, and some of the news stories, and there are ties that bind. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to look too far for a segue to go from one story to another. This cute border crossing. I saw one real talker this morning reached out to us on email and said, please tell me there's going to be an update on this border situation. She said, it just doesn't make sense to me. My response to her, it doesn't make sense to me either. What's the update up to the minute? Last we saw the folks that are essentially holding everybody hostage at the border, blocking this international crossing. We're saying the truckers were saying they've decided they're going to reopen the border for one lane of traffic for one lane of transit here, but they'll close it up again. If they don't see the action they want from the provincial or federal government, that sounds like hostage taking to me. Any developments this morning we may have missed right now, as it stands, uh, the partial reopening is, is is holding um but man i mean we we spoke about it with the mayors the idea that they're this negotiation this negotiation negotiating with these folks and basically saying you know if you if you do this we'll give you this um so united conservative party rural caucus yes supposedly saying that they will look at pulling back on the health restrictions, the health precautions is what I like to call them um, for COVID. Uh, So we wait to see on that. I mean, what I find really interesting is that we actually got a statement just released yesterday by First Nations um, in the area saying that it does not surprise them, but it is appalling nonetheless. Yeah, well, this is... I don't want to. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to step on your toes there. This is one from 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 north of here. This this is another interesting one. This is from the Athabasca Chippewa First Nation Chief Alan Adam, uh, who's done a ton of advocacy for his community uh, in and around uh, the rivers impacted uh, downstream 
um, from oil sands activity near Fort McMurray. Everybody knows Chief Alan Adam. He's the guy that's brought in the high profile Hollywood celebrities to take a look at the oil sands. Chief Alan Adam was the one who was, quite frankly, beat up by RCMP outside of a casino in Fort McMurray. Everybody remembers that story. Chief Alan Adam is the same guy that came on this show and spoke so plainly and so directly about how cancer is impacting and the other environmental and health impacts of the oil sands industry has been impacting his people and his community. Uh, he's a straight talker. He's a direct talker. And, and this is another uh, statement that we wanted to get to as well. The, the, the one that you talked about from Athabasca Chip One First Nation. You're right. Sarah, you think about how this blockade might be treated differently. I defy anyone to disagree with this. I defy I dare anybody to disagree with this. If this was 150 indigenous trucks uh, or if this was 150 black demonstrators as part of Black History Month blocking the Canadian border, you think that they might be treated a little bit differently by police? You think they might be treated a little bit differently by the so-called rural caucus of the United Conservatives? Or do you think that the United Conservatives rural caucus would be jumping to their defense Uh, in defense of their rights to free speech and their right to demonstration as well. It's funny. I didn't see that with the rail blockades. I haven't seen that with logging or pipeline blockades in British Columbia. There seems to me to be a bit of a double standard. A bit? A bit? A tiny little double standard. This is, I mean, in, in the statement, it's shocking to see this blatant disparity as we watch the complete government inaction to address the blockade at Coots. If peaceful process of critical infrastructure at Coots is allowed, then we expect the same to be true in the future should Indigenous people yep. engage in similar forms of protest. I mean, the, also the fact that this has been allowed to, to go on and on and on emboldens, emboldens and allows them to, you know, gather steam. Sure. They are, they are gathering their might. Yeah. Whereas. Sorry. I just in. When some leave, others show up. That's a problem. You know, I remember, and this is going to be a hyper local reference, but I don't think it matters. Uh, There's a bridge in Edmonton, beautiful bridge called the Walterdale bridge. And there's this group, this climate action group called extinction rebellion. And a couple of years ago, uh, people from Extinction Rebellion blocked the Walterdale Bridge during the morning commute so people couldn't get downtown to get to their work and whatever. They blocked the bridge for about 45 minutes and people were people were I mean, I was working at a radio station at the time with a text line that I'm still recovering from and people were making comments about homicide i mean people were making comments about mass murder i mean people were making really disturbing comments about how they would handle a temporary block of a bridge for 45 minutes Uh, those same folks i'm sure are waving their flags and honking their horns for a four five six seven day sustained blockade of an international border and quite frankly it stinks I support protest. I support people's rights to protest. I do not support fringe special interest groups holding people hostage for a series of days. I mean, how about this yesterday? I tweeted about this last night. RCMP Alberta from their official verified account, quote on Twitter this afternoon in response to concerned citizens in the area of Coots, the participants in the blockade. The participants made the decision. Oh, they made the decision to open a lane going northbound and southbound on Highway 4 near the Coots border. And my characterization of it, if you follow me on Twitter at Ryan Jesperson, you know, is that the police force, the RCMP, the police force Jason Kenney's trying to replace is running comms for the truckers threatening to replace Jason Kenney. Just another day in Alberta. 
Now, it comes across to me like the police are carrying the water for the demonstrators here. And that's a tough look on the RCMP. Now, you may say, Jesperson, what do you know about about ending scenarios like this? What do you know about keeping temperature low? What do you know about trying to placate people driven by anger and fury? And the answer would be nothing. I'm not a hostage negotiator. I have no idea. But I do know the type of message that it sends to four and a half million Albertans and 35 million Canadians to see the national police force, the RCMP, describing these people as participants, to just characterize this as a response to concerned citizens. I mean, who's writing this stuff? And to let us know and to send the message that the participants in the blockade, they're the ones that made the decision to open this. So who's calling the shots here? And keep in mind, these demonstrators say that if they don't see these restrictions lifted, if they don't see things like the vaccine mandates, if they don't see the QR codes at the fronts of restaurants, if they don't see all this lifted, they're going to block that border again. I think the average Canadian, and I'm going to say the average Albertan, and I will say that for a fact, the average Albertan expects this to be handled right now. An interesting side story that's going on right now is the shaming that's going on right now, the doxing that's happening. They have been able to get, police have been able to get a few heavy haul tow trucks out there, but they've not managed yet to get any of those tow trucks to hook these big rigs up and get them out of there because this mob is doing its part its own PR campaign to say, hey, listen, there will be consequences for any tow truck driver that hooks up to us and hauls us out of here. And so far, RCMP have gone on the record issuing a statement last night saying they've not been able to procure tow trucks, which is pretty interesting stuff as well. That's a story that we're keeping an eye on. Speaking of big trucks, you want to talk about something that doesn't discourage us and, and make us feel like crap and, and want, make us want to bury our heads in the sand or go back to sleep? Can we talk about the snowplow naming competition? Oh, can we? This wanna... is this. <laughs> I love this. So in Calgary, they have a brand new fleet of snow plows and uh, snow plow trucks, a fleet of them. And they have a whole bunch of them. They have 78 of them and they needed to name them. So they had a contest. Here's one of the trucks named Marshmallow. That was one of the winning submissions okay. because there were there were 1700 submissions for this i like it i like it did you did you i want to read some of these and and ask you if you had a favorite um but but these are darth blader i thought darth blader was amazing fast and flurious gordy plow does it get any better than gordy plow Uh, i thought you'd like that one i did like that one gritty gritty (laughs) bang bang my fair blady plow patrol these are pretty good snow problem (laughs) Yeah, I love the snow problem, but I mean, dogs, I'm all for the plow patrol. Yeah, plow patrol. Anybody with a kid under the age of seven is going to love one, I think, like that. Sir Snows a lot. Sled Zeppelin. Melton John. (laughs) This is a Calgary reference, but Marta Scoop. You know, Marta Loop, the, the beautiful neighborhood that is. This is great. Frosty the Snow Plow. Eiffel Plower unbelievable the blizzard wizard the blizzard of oz should we just sit here all day and just read these you said there's 1700 of them should we just go through we just read 1700 names i think why did you stop why are you stopping i don't know why i stopped hey i wanted to tee up a conversation i want to have tomorrow before we wrap for the day uh and uh i'm I'm not gonna say anything more than this except to solicit emails this is all i'm doing right now is i want to i want to give put this in front of real talkers Uh, i tweeted about this the other day and we'll talk about this officially tomorrow i picked up my my uh little guy from school this week he's six years old he's in grade one 
and he, he we're, we're walking home hand in hand. It's like one of my favorite things I get to do in life. And he says, hey, dad, he said, um, we had, I said, what was the highlight of your day at school today? Or what was something interesting that happened at school today? He says, we had a fire drill. And I go, oh, neato. And, um, and he said, no, 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 wait, not a fire drill, a lockdown. And I went, oh. And I said, tell me about the lockdown. And he goes, well, how come I had to go under my desk and stay so quiet? And I just went, whew. And, uh, of course, I scrambled. I can, I can scramble a little bit. And I, and I started to say, well, you know, sometimes things can happen that we don't expect. And sometimes we just need to stay quiet, you know? And he goes, okay. And then, of course, like any six-year-old, he went, look at that gray truck. That's like your... And it was just off to another subject. But I, I, I have been walking with that since. And so I put it out on Twitter. We've got a ton of comments on it. Uh, we've got principals and teachers. We've got child psychologists chiming in on it. But I wanted to ask parents and I wanted to ask real talkers because I'm looking for some emails here to talk at ryanjesperson.com. How would you respond to a child that asks you that? And some of the responses so far, some people are saying, be honest, tell them that there are bad people in the world. I, that, I, I'm not going to raise a kid that's naive and that doesn't know what's going on, but I'm not sure I want him believing that, that he's in danger every single time he goes to school. Some people have suggested it's great for if a moose or a coyote gets into the school when it's not supposed to be in there and we have to learn to be quiet so we don't scare the animals and so they can get the animals back outside the school. I thought that was a pretty good one, right? And we've got all kinds of different advice. So I wanted to solicit some feedback from real talkers and and I want to tee that up and get into that tomorrow. You know, also coming up tomorrow is going to, of course, be another edition of Trash Talk. We have a ton of submissions, but if you'd like to send one in, if there's something that's driving you absolutely nuts that has nothing to do with border blockades or truck convoys, I would love to hear it. Maybe our talk about snowplows has got you going on windrows or traffic circles, or or maybe it's something to do in your own household. You want to send a message to a loved one through my mouth? Let's do it. Talk at RyanJesperson.com is where you can send in your trash talk. It's presented by our good friends at Local Waste. For more than a quarter century, this family-owned business has been operating across the prairies. You'll find them in Alberta or Saskatchewan. You can call them on the different numbers there. You see right at the top of the page on their website, Local Waste. .ca, another group that had such amazing representation at our Pond Hockey Classic this weekend. They've got services that, of course, you don't want to handle your, your waste, your recycling management for your small or big business. They do it. You need a rental for a short or longer period of time, a house renovation, a landscaping project, a purge, whatever it is, Local Waste has you covered. Why not keep it local with your waste and recycling collection at localwaste.ca? Our friends at Friesen Brothers want to remind you about some smoking deals they've got on right now at the three Friesen Brothers stores in South Edmonton. That's the Rabbit Hill location, Fort Saskatchewan, and Stony Plain. It's the blazing savings that are on a limited time. Today is the last day. It's just a two-day deal where you can check them out online, Friesen.com, and then head to the stores in Edmonton, Stony Plain, and Fort Saskatchewan. Don't forget about their Share the Love Dinner, a great option for Valentine's at Friesen Brothers, Alberta Grown and Alberta Owned. And we also wanted to remind you one more time that our question of the week is currently up on our website. 
If you go to RyanJesperson.com, I want you to go to Connect. You click on Connect, and there you'll see it on the dropdown. It's our question of the week presented by our research and strategy partners at Y Station. We're asking you to weigh in on this cross-country convoy, your reflections, its impact, and the protests more broadly. Now, of course, since we launched this on Monday, the game has changed, hasn't it? Aaron O'Toole was still the leader of the official opposition when this question went up. I'm curious to see how the answers and the participation will evolve. We'll keep that question open till Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock Mountain, 5 o'clock Eastern. But why wait till then? Participate in our question of the week right now at RyanJesperson.com. Coming up on tomorrow's show, as mentioned, I want to ask you about school lockdowns. I want to ask you how you wrap your mind around it as a parent or as a teacher, as an administrator, perhaps someone who has interest in in talking to younger kids and helping them understand the realities of life without, you know, scaring the hell out of them. Plus, it's National Eating Disorder Week. Our Real Talk Roundtable touches on it. Can anyone have an eating disorder? We'll talk to you tomorrow, Real Talkers. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, editorial producer Sarah Hoyles, technical producer Sam Brooks, managing director Josh Dunford, account coordinator Tanya Franklin, merchandise operations Katie Cook-Chivers, website design Mike Johnston, voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. 
For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.